0: Coming up on Friday at the Eastford Elementary School, folks of all ages are invited to a free talk by Yukon Earth Sciences professor Robert Thorson titled Historic Stone Walls of Northeastern Connecticut. And Dr. Thorson joins us this morning to talk about stone walls, which I think intrigues a lot of people. So good morning to Thor. You were born in North Dakota worked in Alaska, settled in Connecticut. Orion says you're America's leading voice for environmental literature. You define yourself as Midwestern native, turned Northwestern geologist, turned Northeastern academic. You say your main scholarly interests target the physical relationships between humans and their landscapes, especially the intersections of historical archaeology, humans as geophysical and geochemical agents, environmental history, and American literature. Why... Did you get interested in stone walls? (laughs) That's quite an intro. Well, why
1: did I become interested? Because they're there. You know, I mean, basically, I stumbled across one and I said, what is this thing? Because if you grow up around them, I mean, they're in your backdrop. You know what they are. At least you think you do. But if you've never seen one and you stumble across one, your curiosity is going to
0: engage. Are there times when you're driving around eastern Connecticut and you see a pretty cool stone wall and you stop, you get out, admire it, maybe even take a picture?
1: Yes, and I often carry a traffic cone in my car um, to do that.
0: Wow, that's very wise to control the traffic while you're outside sightseeing. You've written seven books, three about stone walls, so how many miles of stone walls are there in New England? <laughs> well,
1: nobody really knows. I mean, some are being added and some are being subtracted as we talk. Uh, The best estimate came from an 1870 census of fences, and the uh, ballpark estimate that I use is around 250,000 square, 250,000 linear linear miles. And my guess is we've got at least half of that.
0: Can you narrow that down to the state of Connecticut? How many miles of stone walls in our state?
1: No, I really can't, but I've got a colleague, Will, we met that's working hard on that. They're trying to uh, use the... Uh, you know, the GIS systems and uh, drones and LiDAR and all of that to come up with a better estimate.
0: Let's talk about the event that's coming up on Friday at the Easter Elementary School, and what exactly will this talk be about?
1: (laughs) Well, uh, I'm going to start with a kid's talk based on the 1998 Stonewall Secrets book. It was actually the first one published and won a Smithsonian Notable Award. Uh, And that's basically the story of what should we do You know, with our stone walls, should we sell them, should we keep them, should we study them, what should we do? And it's uh, it's the grandfather basically touring a site with a young person. So that's the opener, uh, because I was encouraged to do something for young people. Then I'm going to do a broad review of the stone walls in New England. It's kind of a talk that I've given around uh, the region, but focus it down on Eastford. And then the final thing I'm going to do, and it's really a new thing for me, I'm going to stick my neck out and start uh, suggesting management reg- um, management regulations for what to do with these things. And I'm not going to tell individual towns or entities or property owners or whatever what to do, but I'm going to try and frame the backdrop for uh, how I think their decision should be made within.
0: I'm really intrigued by the kids aspect you first talked about there. Do kids notice these things, or is it the kind of thing that once you point it out to them, they go, yeah, that is pretty cool? Well,
1: that's... I would say yes. I think that if you have a kid under uh, five or six, and, you know, I've seen this before, you know, they're totally intrigued by these objects that are out there. They're real. But once they start becoming slaves to their uh, cell phones, you know, they kind of lose interest, and they go down the rabbit hole of the Internet. And I can't speak for every kid, of course. I mean, I, uh, I've i been a curious outdoor kid my whole life, but um, but but that's a concern. So the idea is to bring them back, and the fundamental premise starting with the kids, is that we can talk all we want about conserving stone walls or our natural heritage, but if that message doesn't get passed on to young people, it's going to be lost in short order.
0: I will admit that I like to admire the stone walls, not just driving around or walking around, but I see them from time to time on the rail trails, like the Hop River Trail, the Airline Trail. There's some pretty good ones out there. How old do you estimate the stone walls are here in eastern Connecticut?
1: Well, they, the oldest one is going to date to the time of settlement. I, if I have my date right, I think Samuel Stores arrived here in Stores in 1698, and I don't think he started building walls right away. But you know, within a within a uh, uh, a decade or so, there will be at least a few up, and certainly the cellar pole in his house, you know, would have been cons- qualified as a stone wall. But the broad uh, field stone walls that we see all over the region—just uh, imagine them being thrown up, or tossed up, or raised up, or built up uh, within about a generation of arrival, maybe two generations. And so the the broad the broad date is late, uh, you know, 18th century to uh, probably late 19th century. But walls were continuing to be built on farms up to about the 1920s and 30s when uh, lots of things went south.
0: Inquiring minds want to know, do you have a stone wall or two on your property and stores? Well, I
1: used to. Uh, used to have a, you know, it's an old pasture, a bunch of stone walls. We had an almost five-acre property surrounded by stone walls. But as uh, things went on, I downsized, you know, as I got older and uh, into a LED environment certified townhouse, you know, where I get to walk everywhere. So, uh, no, I do not have stone walls around my property now, but, uh, but I, uh, I see lots of them on, in my front yard, which is basically a town park and a Joshua's Trust property.
0: Around here, people say they are farming stones. Every year, the fields have stones that come up from below. Why does New England have so many stones or rocks or boulders?
1: Well, that's a really big question. Uh, Let's just say it starts with uh, uh, the glacial. No, let me back up. It starts with the bedrock. As we take the rock that's created miles down in the Earth's crust and bring it to the surface, it fragments. So that's kind of step number one. And step number two is when the glacier came by here, it had an intimate connection with the, uh, with the rock and the landform, and it quarried or lifted up uh, many, many stones and scattered them about. After that, they were pretty much buried, or at least shallowly, for the next 15, 20,000 years. But when the fields were cleared, a combination of circumstances set in to cause the stones to rise up from below and enter fields where they were scuttled aside, And then eventually stacked up and built up into stone walls.
0: Hopefully our talk this morning and your talk in Eastford at the Eastford Elementary School on Friday at 530 will make people notice them more. You drive by them sometimes, you don't appreciate them. But are stone walls found elsewhere in the U.S. or Canada, or is this more of a New England thing? Well, let me me answer your question in
1: reverse order. It is a New England thing but there are stone walls found everywhere else in the country however the challenge in the rest of the country is to explain a stone wall and in new england it's to explain the absence of a stone wall in other words they're signature landforms of the region they're virtually ubiquitous where three things come together and the three things are you need to have hard crystalline rock you know not sandstone or limestone or shale that the glacier will crush And then you need to have a glacier bottom soil. We call it till, but basically it's the material that is is being carried by the ice sheets either in the bed or near the surface and let down on the land. And the third thing you need is to have a livestock tillage culture, you know, where people are trying to build lots of fences and and manage properties and, uh, you know, till the soil and, 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 and create a pasture and things like that. So, in New England, is the only place where all three of those come together at the whole regional scale, um, and um, at least in a in a large area, and that is why they are what I call the signature landforms of New England. You know, you might think of a of a ridge or a, a valley or a stream or a uh, you know as being a, a landform, and indeed they are. Just like coastal dunes are landforms. But uh, I, I consider the stone walls, even though they're human built, there's so much uh, sort of human ecology in them. I dub them landforms
0: find our region. Let me back up a little bit. Let me ask, where did this tradition originally come from of stone walls? Well,
1: the, in the old world, you know, where the, the settlement happened from, you know, depending on where you are, uh, there, there are stone walls wherever there is uh, a stony surface on the landscape, because people just sort of automatically build the architecture. Now, New England, obviously, was settled by people from England, at least initially. Uh, and I'm not talking indigenous here. I'm talking the Euro settlement colonialism that began in the, uh, in the 17th century. Uh, and, and, of course, wh- the landscapes that they came from had stone walls. Now, it's not like they looked at the land and said, oh boy, I want to build a stone wall to make it look like home. You know, that may have been a piece of it, but mostly what happened was that um, as the as the land was cleared and as stone accumulated, uh, then, then they built stone walls out of them because that was totally within their cultural material tradition.
0: When you look at a stone wall, do you see it as a work of art?
1: Yes. Um, well, yes and no. I think there's a template that is pretty generic, I think, for many, many walls. However, if you walk along a wall and you look carefully, it's very hard to miss places where the stones were placed in such and such a way to sort of transform them into folk art. And uh, so, yes, I see the simple, uh, linear, straight, stacked stone wall as a work of art, but within it, it's embellished in places, and I think each qualifies as folk art.
0: We see urban sprawl creeping even here into the quiet corner, but why should we be preserving our stone walls?
1: Well, they're the direct, tangible link to history. I mean, if you, you, and they're not going to go away anytime soon unless we destroy them. Uh, And they're there because they're giving us a clock by which we can judge the passage of time, Um, you know, in a way that's not just about calendar time or digital time. And I think the reason is they connect us to a, the past in a way that nothing else does, and it isn't just that we're reaching back into history; we're reaching back into human history that's fully engaged with the Earth. And I think that's something we need to learn from, uh, you know, more in the future. And uh, so, so I think I think that that you can touch one; you can almost feel the person who built them. You can you can use it as a time machine. You can. You can appreciate the rock and the habitat and the stone and the the lichen. It's just just a way for us to go back in time, not through documents, but through the actual objects of that time.
0: I love that image you just created. But does it break your heart when some people tear them down? Yes, it it does break my heart. Um, In fact,
1: that was the source of of the book Stonewall Secrets, was that I was solicited three times to sell the stone walls off of my property here in stores so some developer from Belchertown, Massachusetts, you know, could pile them up and sell them back to other people. There are tragedy after tragedy of, uh, of stone walls that, uh, that I've experienced. In fact, just last week I was guiding a walk on the um, for Joshua's Trust, and one of the beautiful roadside walls was just pirated of its stone. In some other places, uh, they're strip-mining stone walls off of large properties so that they can be uh, put on pallets and sold at much higher prices.
0: If a person has stone walls on their property, how can they learn to preserve them?
1: Well, the preservation is, first of all, if they're in a closed canopy forest and they're minding their own business you know, out there, I'd say they're being archaeology and just let them be archaeology and appreciate them as such. Uh, because there's a resonance that you get from knowing that you have an artifact on your property that is telling time in ways that you may not be able to articulate with words. Um, Then there's the roadside walls, or what I call heritage walls, or walls that are linked to historic property. And these are maintained and should be maintained. And then, of course, there are newer stone walls that people are trying to build and, and, and doing a good job building. I think it's really cool that we're doing that. However, if you're going to do that, I strongly recommend staying within the local tradition that you see around town so that you're enhancing that historic ambiance rather than detracting it with something modern.
0: Town of Mansfield asked your advice about preserving walls on town property. Officials said the heart of the problem is striking a balance between preserving a heritage and respecting property rights. What did you advise them? Well, that that
1: is exactly the point. We live in a world, uh, and I go back to a quote from uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson in 1836. He published a book called Nature. that really kind of set the stage for not only the New England's intellectual culture, but for the environmental movement. And what he said was that Miller might own this farm and some other guy might own that farm, but nobody owns the landscape. And he said the best part of your, of your land is not necessarily that part contained by your warranty deed, that was his term, you know, but by the whole landscape that's amalgamated. So we have to strike the right balance between respecting private property, and I know something about that. Um, uh, you know, I really don't like people telling me what to do on my property, but on the other hand, my property is enhanced by the property surrounding me, and if everything else went to hell and I kept my property, the value of it would go down. So we have to strike the right balance, and this is true with every, every aspect of government. You know, we don't want any government intruding on our lives, but at the same time, we want government to uh, protect our lives so that it, uh, it doesn't, you know, just go to pieces because everybody else is doing something terrible.
0: Let's drop some 25-cent words on our listeners here today. You're continuing your original research programs on archaeological geology, paleolimnology, and neotectonics while focusing on the Anthropocene epoch. Those are words most of us never say or even heard. What's that all about? Well, the key word there, the most important one, is
1: the Anthropocene. And, and, and basically, what, what I'm, I, we've got a very successful class here at UConn. It's called The Human Epic, Living in the Anthropocene. And the idea is people talk a lot about the environment, but the idea of the environment got so big, you know, it's so everywhere, you know, in the atmosphere and on the land and in, in the extinctions and so forth, that we have really crossed the boundary from business as usual, living in the Holocene or the previous epoch, into a new one, and it needs to have a name. And the name is the Anthropocene. And I didn't invent that, but, but that's the one we're kind of stuck with. And it's, it's still unofficial to the extent that it hasn't been approved after 20 years of study, but it will be. Um, and basically, it's the world after the mid-20th century is a very different world. It postdates the so-called Great Acceleration, where consumption and population and uh you know uh, the use of power and fuels and pollution and radionuclides and whatever it just went over the top, and so we live in a very, very different world from you know ninety seven percent of the time that human beings have been in existence and um, and that 's called the uh, it 's called the Anthropocene,
0: as you can hear, this man has a lot of interesting things to say. You can hear more of his words this Friday at five thirty at the Eastford Elementary School. Folks of all ages invited to a free talk by this man, Yukon Earth Sciences Professor Robert Thorson, titled Historic Stone Walls of Northeastern Connecticut, Dr. Thorson, the author of the best-selling "Stone by Stone: The Magnificent History in New England Stone Walls," "Exploring Stone Walls," a field guide to New England stone walls, and "Stone Wall Secrets," this event is at the Eastford Elementary School, 12 Westford Road in Eastford, and everyone is invited. Thor, this was a lot of fun. Thanks for joining me again this morning. Thank you, Wayne. It's
1: always nice to get back to you.
0: 14 WILI Willimantic and 95.3 FM.